from Relay FM. This is Upgrade, episode 444, and today's episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snow. Hi, Jason Snow. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very good. I have a hashtag snow talk question, or just as I should say, a snow talk question. I mean, we can hashtag whatever we want in our lives, right? Indeed. Like theoretically, couldn't we? We could be like, you know, hashtag hello, Mike. <laughs> I mean, who cares? Isaiah says, do you have any plants in your office? Um, interesting question. The answer is no. I also, uh, we, Lauren was saying how we should probably have more plants in our house. We do have some, Mm -hmm. but we don't have that many. And I left that to her because I'm not a big plants in the house person. Mm -hmm. Although somebody got us a a cactus, like a little thing with cactuses in it that I kind of, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, but um, my memory of this is that I also didn't ever have plants like in my office, and um, at some point I don't know they they hired somebody or they redesigned something or I forget what exactly it was, but um, one day I went into the office and somebody had like brought a plant into my office. This isn't my fault. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. and no, it was no, no, a random person broke out of my house and check. left a plant on the you know oh the plant bandit is here. I mean the plant giver. I guess they break in and put plants on desks. Anyway, and I just remember that moment where I saw the plant and I was like, who put this here? And and I, I had it removed from my office. Oh. <laughs> Get it out. Get out. Plant, yeah. I want it out. So the answer is no, but it's like no with uh, in italics. No with uh, an exclamation point. I, I don't. Okay. I don't really. I know that people say, "Oh, they, they, you know, they bring you oxygen and they are they're pleasant and they and it's just like they don't do anything for me." Sorry, not a not a plant person, just not. I like the idea of being a plant person, but I don't want to be one. And when I say a plant person, I just mean like having plants. Like you can become like a real plant person. Like I know people, you go into their living room and it's just like a jungle. I don't mean like that. Well, that's extreme. Mean, that that's extreme. I know. Like a, but that that's a, a like jungle. if I say plant person, that's what I'm thinking of, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would like the idea maybe of more plants. We've just never been very good at keeping them alive. Adina has an app, right, which reminds her to water her plants. It has, th- I think, the best name for an app ever. Right, mm-hmm. This is a plant watering app. So you put the name of the plant in, you put some information about the plant in it, and you put it on a schedule, right? The app, Jason, is called Greg. Okay. And I just think that's hilarious. It's just called Greg. The app's name is Greg. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's just something about that. It tickles me every single time. Yeah. Like, Greg why would, is it Greg called would Greg? Like you to watch, would like you to, I don't know. It's plant person stuff. I guess so. The plant people know. The plant people get, get it. it. They get it. I don't know. I don't get it. The plant people know what they're talking about there. I don't have a problem. Like, like I said, you know, Lauren was saying we should have more plants in the house. And I was like, great. Like, I support this. You know, implied in that is great. You're gonna have to do it because I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I don't. I'm not against it. Mm-hmm. And we have had plants, and we continue to. I mean, there are some, and we could have more, and that would be fine. I don't care. Um, but it's not a thing that I like. Would choose to do. I think we have plants outside, right? Where plants go, where plants are supposed sure. to go. Sure. In the outside, that's a different thing. Yeah, but the plant people. Interesting. Well, Greg. Shout out to the plant people and to Greg, whoever you are. 
Thank you to Isaiah for that question. If you would like to send in a question of your own to help us open an episode of Upgrade, go to UpgradeFeedback.com and send in your Snell Talk question. Mm. I have some follow-up for you, Jason Snell. Okay. Since we recorded last, there's been a controversy. Oh, there's a gate. There's a new gate. Yes. It's true. Well, it's, it's the true. return of a gate. It's there, Yeah, you're gate, right. It's, it's M2, M2 storage gate. Yes. Part two. M2 part two. Base, the base model MacBook Pro, the M2 MacBook Pro, and the M2 Mac Minis both have slower SSD speeds than the M1 models that they replace. This has right. happened and before. This, yep. Um, was it the MacBook Air? Yep. Yeah. So basically so. what's happening is Apple is reducing the amount of like NAND flash storage chips that go into the machine. So like what they would right. usually have previously used two chips for 256 gigabytes of storage. They're now using one. Uh, and in doing right. that, there is a speed drop. Half the pathway, therefore half the speed, because yep. they only have the one pathway and not the two, the second pathway. So there's the a drop in the maximum speed of the SSD in the lower storage configurations that use only one chip instead of two. And this is something that is not mentioned by Apple in its details about its storage configurations, which I think is the key point. Why would they? They should, in theory, but why would they? <laughs> well, well, I mean, you could make the argument that they they mentioned that the um that the MacBook uh or the MacBook Pro with the M2 Max has a double the memory bandwidth, for example, of the lower end mm -hmm. model. And they they boast about SSD speeds at least a little bit. So, I feel like it could be a simple bit of disclosure of these are really fast and and these are faster. <laughs> Uh, and do it like that, but they don't. And I, I personally, I think that's the problem here because again, it's a gate. Everybody's going to get upset. Last week, there was a great uh, story on Connected about how uh, a, a civilian uh, told what Federico uh -huh. that like, oh, I saw a TikTok about Apple scamming people again, and it's like, what? And it's like, well, it's really easy to get engagement and clicks and anger saying that Apple did something. And so people will find literally anything that Apple does. And sometimes, you know, people ask us on this show, like, why wouldn't Apple just do this? And you and I both immediately think of all of the gates that would happen if they did that thing, mm -hmm. right? And I don't know if Apple makes their choices based on gate avoidance. Clearly not entirely, because there's always another gate. But uh, this one, you know, Apple has decided to save um, money I presumably by only putting one larger chip on instead of two smaller chips. And as a result on those, on those lower configurations, the storage is a little slower. I, I think it's a little slower. It's not like unusable slow. It's just a little slower. My, my wager is first off that most people probably don't use that, the maximum SSD speeds of these things. And second, that the people who do really push their systems, maybe buying a higher end configuration where they're not going to see this. But I do wish Apple would disclose it or make a better decision, which is just to do the thing that's slightly more, uh, slightly less convenient and uh, let the uh, storage be fast on all of them. Um, also, I saw some comments that were basically like, it's outrageous that, because this wasn't the case on the M1, they didn't configure them this way on the M1 MacBook Pro. It's outrageous that the storage on any configuration of the M2 should be slower than the M1. And I thought, outrageous, again, kind of an extreme view uh, to say outrageous. And also I would say, who's upgrading from a low-end M1 to a low-end M2? Almost nobody, right? They're coming from Intel. Yeah, I, I don't understand that person. Oh, but like that right? even someone that would do a year-over-year -year upgrade, but would do a year-over-year -year upgrade from base model to base model. 
Yeah. And for those people, I think, and that's why I think this is good information and why I wish Apple would disclose it because, because yeah. of course, Apple seeds the reviewers with higher end systems than that. Um, I think that's, I think that's all, all valid, but then there's the freak out and it's like, you know, yeah. again, I, I just have very little time for the people on TikTok and YouTube who are just trying to make, trying to inflame people. And then, yes, at least I try to be understanding when somebody says this is outrageous and unacceptable that I'm like, that's probably somebody who was inflamed by somebody that like they got played by that person who wanted to stoke some anger in order f- to get engagement. And it's like, this is not nothing. It's not a big deal. And the real crime here, I think, is that either Apple cheaped out on this, you know, when they should have just dealt with it. They're trying to optimize this thing to have bigger profit margins for them. Or, and or, <laughs> it is uh, it is just not disclosing it. Like, failure to disclose. Like, to give, put it, if you put it in the hands of, of the consumer, that like this SSD configuration has this speed which they would call fast and this ssd configuration has faster and let the consumer decide if they want to spend because saying you have to spend more money for a better for a faster ssd is not on its face unacceptable right it's that it's a stealth speed penalty slash boost that is the issue here so they could either not do it or they could just disclose it but the fact that they did it and didn't disclose it yeah that's dumb they shouldn't do that um is it is it a gate? I mean, I guess it is. They're all gates. I kind of wanted to include this here to just say that, like, I wished, as you say, like, I wished Apple would say it so we didn't have to have these things because there are so many valid reasons to be frustrated at Apple for various things that they do, which we do, I think, a pretty decent job of chronicling on this show. This one, to me, is just so... I find it tiring, <laughs> like, in a way. Like, this... It's kind of like one of those things where you can say it's happening and it's true, but the amount of people that this will actually affect is infinitesimal. Yeah. Right? Well, and that's that's why the the real story here would be Apple has done this. Yeah. It's good information. Yeah. Uh, here's what it means in terms of real world performance, yeah. which is not, you know, <laughs> it's it's something, but it's not enormous. Mm-hmm. Here's who it affects, who, what kind of user this would affect. And here's how you should be aware of this if you're in the market for an M2 MacBook Pro. Yep. Like, that's that's the news you can use right there, right? Like, right, that's, that's what it that's is. That's the way I wish that this reporting just was, right? Rather than, like, I think the TikTok that, like, Federico um, it kind of translated it a bit of, like, Apple is scamming you again, right? And it's just yep. like, oh my God. Like, it's just so mm-hmm. tiring. Like, it's exhausting. If there's one thing that I think they don't do is scam people, right? Like, they do a lot of things I don't like, but I don't really, I don't feel like at least that Apple are out to scam you. But you, I guess your interpretation of it may vary, right? If they don't disclose at all, maybe you consider it a scam. But I just kind of look at it of like, I mean, I would like them to, but of course they're not going to, right? Like, of course, in the marketing for the new product, they're not going to say, oh, BT dubs is 50% slower at read-write speeds on SSD yeah. storage. 
Well, like like I said, I think the way you phrase it is that these are fast and the and then and this is faster. Yeah. And you disclose it in, in in a way that is marketing, but it also does make it clear that there is a difference when you pay more, you're not just getting more storage, yeah. but you're yeah. getting faster storage. I also wonder if they don't disclose it because they want to they don't want to be specific because it may also be that it turns out they want to be able to put 256 a single 256 chip or a or a single 512 chip. I'm not sure exactly whether is it two 256s and then one five I, I, I'm unclear on exactly where this comes into play and not and it's also difficult because you actually have to survey all the different configs to see but let's just put it this way it's possible that Apple wants to leave it open that if they have an availability of the smaller chips for a good price yeah. that they would build them using two yeah. and if they don't they would build them using one Yep. Right, like it's possible they don't want to disclose this for internal production reasons, right? Which is just like we're just following the the available or uh, affordable version of the chips. Uh, it, it's entirely possible. Still, though, in my mind, um, it, it you you might want to disclose this, like uh -huh. just to not have this happen. Just say say it the way it is, which is guess what? You pay more, you get more. Mm -hmm. uh, the ivory for Mastodon app is available now. We've been chronicling a little bit of stuff going on with third-party developers and Mastodon. This is the Ivory app from the Tapbots developers of Tweetbot. So that that is now available. Um, I've been playing around with it. Like I logged in and followed a bunch of people. I just wanted to see what it was all about. Everyone was like, this has been the story of the week, I feel like, last week. Everyone was talking about it. Um, have you been using Ivory at all? Yeah, I've been using it since uh, it was in beta. And yep. um, I, uh, funny story, I I, I did a, because I'm on Mac Break Weekly on Twit every week. And uh, it's kind of fun to be one of three people and not to have, like, this is the whole show, right? And there, I'm just like one of the people, one of the peanut gallery. And I, I used it, we do a pick of the week and I made it my pick of the week because it came out. And I, and uh, along the way, I might have said something about how I wasn't very impressed with most of the Mastodon apps out there, and I felt like this this is a very good product from an, a company that knows what it's doing, and it sort of uh, is being excited. People are being excited about it because uh, it's so good, and that the Mastodon client market is kind of wanting, and that a lot of the apps out there are not are kind of hobby projects, and yeah. they're not that great. And oh, I made a lot of people angry. I made all the all the Mastodon. Uh, nimby people angry at me where okay. it's like you twitter people you come in here and you with your we got lots of apps we got lots of apps and it's like some of those apps are fine and a lot of them are growing and i think it's great um i just i feel like ivory rolling in is a uh, message to uh mastodon apps to up their game and some of them are right like i'm it's not important. saying that there aren't other good apps out there or there aren't other apps with lots of potential out there but Bottom line is there are also some apps out there that, and I'm not naming names because I don't want to be mean to them. And that's not the point of the conversation. The point is to uplift a thing that I think is good, which is ivory. Yep. Um, but there, there, you know, a lot of people were kind of rushed in these kind of hobbyist open source apps, especially in like 2018 when the first little move to Mastodon happened. And uh, I mean, they were, they were like, well, at least there's an app. <laughs> yeah. But when you've got, something like ivory and there are there are a couple others that i think are very promising too that i've been using over the last few weeks too um not ready to talk about yet some of them i think because they've got promise but they're not there yet um but it like it changes the game it forces people to up the game and what's exciting is this is what happened with twitter 12 years ago or whatever which yeah. is there were a bunch of them a lot of them were mediocre 
And then you started to get ones that were really good that served different people's ideas. Like I liked Twitterific, other people liked Tweetbot. And there were also a bunch of other ones that like Dan Frakes always liked what it was, Nighthawk or something, I think was what it was eventually called. Like there were lots of uh, cool, different takes on a Twitter client. And I hope that's what happens with Mastodon because like when I re-entered Mastodon uh, as Twitter was dissolving <laughs> the last few months, I looked around at a lot of the apps and they felt... Um, felt like they were in stasis. They were the apps that were there in 2018 that they yeah. were kind of pokey and not very good. And like, if you love them, then that's great. But my job is not to praise mediocre apps because they exist, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Ivory is is a step above. It's a and high so game on, right? Game on for Mastodon apps now. Of developers that have been making an app that's kind of like this one for like 10 years or something, right? So like, it would be good, but it, it's an important step for a lot of people in their moving from Twitter to Mastodon. So I think it's it's put a lot of attention on it. And, you know, yeah. I was just listening to an episode of App Stories today where John and Federico were running through a bunch of apps that they've been trying on iOS and iPad. Mm-hmm. Um, some that are coming out, some that are out already. And this is incredibly reminiscent, right, of that. I don't know, even know what so time much. it was, like 20... 2010, 2010 2009, yeah. Yeah, it's that UI playground yep. era, right? Where where Twitter there are like a bunch of Twitter apps with different takes on it, mm-hmm. and that's the beauty of it too. Is there's the I'm going to make a, a generic app for a, a social media platform, and then there's like there was one that I it's not my cup of tea, but I saw it the other day where somebody said I've decided to do an app that makes Mastodon look like a bunch of text messages. In yeah, like messages. I loved the I'm look like, of that. What a great that, idea! By the way. I, I, not for me, but like, yes, that's the kind of experimentation we should be seeing. And then what you got with the Twitter apps was innovation, where somebody would do something and everybody would look at it and go, oh, and I don't mean that in a copycatty kind of way. People can sometimes like uh, mock that kind of thing. But like when somebody nails it and goes like, oh, this is it. And everybody else looks at it and goes, oh, they got that's it. That's the right interaction. We should all, every app should do that. And that happens sometimes, and that's magical too. Where like the whole platform realizes, oh yeah, yeah, that's the that's the way to do it. And that's what happens when you've got a whole bunch of different smart people developing these apps with their own unique take on it, and they give stuff a try. Um, and they're not all going to be great. And in fact, sometimes you'll get a really brilliant thing in an app that's not that good or is frustrating in some way. That's okay too. But like that's the beauty of this sort of scenario. So I hope it keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm finding it really interesting um, to see people sharing this stuff around. As I say, like I'm, I, I've logged in an Ivory and I just took a look at it and and followed some people just so I could kind of see what it looked like and how it was performing, and it's kind of what I'd hoped and expected an app from Tapbots to be like. But it seems like there's still a lot of work to go in the app, which they're very open about. It wouldn't have launched now, right? I think that's pretty clear. Um, if if Tweetbot was still uh, an ongoing concern. I don't think Ivory would have been a, made available when it was made available, but I think from Tapbot's perspective, this is probably the right way to do it. Something I also saw on 9to5Mac is that Phil Schiller has officially joined Mastodon. And this highlighted something really yep. interesting to me, which is the verification system. So yes, it is easy to verify yourself "Quote unquote easy to verify yourself uh, on Mastodon. You could just post a snippet of code on a website that you own, and you verify that that URL is yours to control. So, like right. for example, 
I'm sure you've done this, the six colors, right? So then people yes. going to your Mastodon page, it says a little verified tick so people know it's you. How does Phil Schiller do this, right? Like he can't po- post this piece of code on apple.com, right? So I mean, this, maybe, is, maybe, this is super maybe. interesting to me. Well, he's been taken off of the, the is there an Apple Fellows page somewhere? I don't, Probably, I, don't know. I think so. But it this was just oh, like yeah. a funny thing where a couple of people reached out to Phil. One of them, uh, I think, was Zach, and the, and they also uh, at Nine to Five Mag, and they also published uh, a, a screenshot uh, from uh, Slade Watkins, who emailed Phil Schiller at Apple dot com, like the Phil Schiller email address, and Phil confirmed, yes, this is my Mastodon. I love so much. That Phil Schiller incorrectly spelt Mastodon in the exact yep. way that I do, yeah, uh, which is M A S T A D O N because that's the way it sounds, and I can never get it right. Uh, and so, like, it just led to me this interesting thing of like verification is like technically easier than Twitter, but is r- not achievable really for someone in a position like Phil Schiller's, right? Where like, how can he verify himself? He doesn't have his own like outpost, and to ch- to put a Mastodon link on the Apple leadership Phil Schiller page would probably require you know development work and a lot of approvals and all this stuff that he's not going to do. And it's a it is a a funny maybe there's a business opportunity here for some company to be like you know verified dot plumbing, and they're like we are uh, private investigators who will verify the identity of people who plus then and also scammers. Yeah, uh, but because all it verifies is that you uh, you uh, can control what's on a particular page on a particular website. But sometimes that's enough, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. that's all you really need. Yeah, and it was just like an interesting thing to me of like it's more available to everyone, but the human element of Twitter's verification system meant that someone like Phil Schiller could be verified. So it was just intriguing. He should get the Apple PR people to like some post that he's. Uh, that he's quoted in in a press release, just have at the bottom among the Apple PR contacts say are, are also uh, Phil Schiller's Mastodon. And you can link <laughs> By to the that. Way. Link a newsroom post. That's his verification URL. I just you know it's in, it's interesting to me that Schiller's done this. Like I'm intrigued to see if anyone else does anything. You know, it's kind of like in his position now. He's definitely much more can be more mavericky, right? Because it's. He isn't so active anymore, so he, I guess he right. can kind of do a little bit more of like what he wants to do. Um, but it will be, I'm very interested to see if and or at what point Tim Cook joins Mastodon. Mm, interesting. Is he gonna, Elon going to have to go walk around the... I don't know. I mean, I don't even again. know if it would happen, right? But it's, it's, an, it's just an intriguing thought. Hmm. All right, Jason. Yes. Who uses the 16-inch MacBook Pro is a question I oh. asked. Okay, apparently, gonna go get a gonna go get a drink now. <laughs> Lean apparently, back. everyone does. Let me know. You asked this. You asked yeah. it. Mm-hmm. You asked for it. I did. This is one of those things where I did a thing and then realized I have not learned my lesson because I've done this kind of stuff in the past, and I have an element in my mind of what I think's going to happen, and it never goes that way. You know, like I think, oh, I'm gonna get some some feedback on this. Uh, it was over 350 people wrote in to UpgradeFeedback.com to give me their reasons for why they use a 16-inch MacBook Pro. And this was fascinating to me. 
Um, it was interesting. You know, I when I was getting ready to sit down this morning, I did have this feeling of like dread because I've been keeping my eye on it. I was like, I've got to go through it because I did want to go through it all. And I was like, oh God, this is gonna take forever. And it took a while. It took about, I don't know, like 45 minutes longer than I would normally prep for upgrade today to get to go through it all. But it was interesting to me in thinking back on it of how I'm happier that I asked for the feedback there. Like if I would have got these as tweets, it would have just been like an entire week of my life where every time I open Twitter or Mastodon or whatever I'm using, where I would just be getting this stuff over and over and over again, right? Just everyone, it would feel like the entire world was telling me that they use one of these computers. Nevertheless, thank you to everybody that wrote in. Uh, what I'm not going to do is read all of these things, but I have aggregated some of the reasons for why people choose to use a 16-inch MacBook Pro, and I would like to, to impart them upon you. But I did, Jason, I was fascinated by the varied and cool jobs that Upgradians have. Hmm, I, nice. So, we heard from, and this is just a smattering, doctors, developers, designers, live tour managers, PR managers, audio engineers, video editors, special effects artists, photographers, architects, artists, painters, creative directors, theatrical sound designers, music producers, film directors, and podcast editors. One of those podcast editors is our podcast editor who told ah, me in yes. Slack, thank you, Jim, yes. for why you use the 16-inch MacBook Pro. Yeah, it's and, also, and this is just the 16-inch MacBook Pro users uh -huh. who are upgradients. Amazing. Way more students than I would have expected to. Loads of students. So these are the reasons. For a lot of people, yeah. straight up, bigger display is better. They just want a bigger display, especially if using it as a laptop. Sometimes this can be um, for screen resolution and display quality reasons, which can be vital for design work. Um, and by and large, the, if, especially if they do it given this machine by their company, the 16-inch MacBook Pro screen is going to be better than whatever external display they might be plugging into at the office. Uh, if you're on the road a lot for work, there is no display to connect your laptop to, so you just want the biggest display that you can get. This was one that was fascinating to me, and I think it's something that might be happening more now. If you're used to, when you're in the office, plugging into an external display, but now you're in the office for three days a week and you're at home for two days a week, if you're going from like a 24, 27-inch display down to a 14-inch display, that's like a big jump where 16 at least gets you something that's a bit bigger. So I find that kind of interesting. Um, for people that use their external display with their laptop open, bigger screen is better for that. And also we heard from a bunch of people who have eyesight issues and found the 16 inch, again, like you can just, the scaling can be bigger. You can make everything bigger up. if you have eyesight yeah. issues. Uh, we heard from some people who just want the most performance possible for specific use cases that they have. Now, so I have a question about this, which uh -huh. is, the MacBook Pro in, in Apple Silicon, the MacBook Pro 14 and 16 are basically, other than the battery life, the same in terms of performance. Correct. Uh, so we what's got, going on here? We got a bunch of people who were telling me why they chose their laptop when they got it. So not wow. everybody was is using the latest and greatest. So they may be on an Intel machine or something like right. that. Where they or or are, are so used to Intel, you know, maxing out a 16-inch or 15-inch before that on Intel that they're now just in the habit of yep. having the larger laptop, even Correct. though it's no longer the case that they mm -hmm. that it's the only place they can get that performance. Yes, that was that's All one right. of I'll bring this up now, which is uh, so a lot of people just said have it from when the smaller machines couldn't cut it. Right, that was like a thing that I got from people too. This 
especially for people using it in clamshell mode. Like if they're getting a laptop and always are planning to use it with an external display, they just want to get the most laptop possible. So when there were performance differences, one of the biggest answers that I got about why a 16 inch, it was just like some, most people that seem to have it got it from their employer. And so when they're given the choice of what laptop do you want, they're just like, I'll have the best one. Biggest screen, biggest battery, in some instances, biggest performance. And so they just they just go with whatever um, because obviously employers tend not to give desktop machines to people, um, but will give laptops and then you can come into the office and plug in your screen. Right. And if you're just so going to live the best that one. way, just get the best one possible because it's not your money, right? I heard from some people who say that the 16-inch feels better to them on the lap especially I heard from a couple of people who says, I'm a bigger person. Bigger laptop fits me better because it covers a greater surface area. Uh, many people who prescribe to the idea of one computer to rule them all. So they only want one machine and they want something that is both a laptop and a desktop, right? So bigger makes it closer to something like a desktop. So they'll go with that way. I'm uh, I'm going to do some real-time follow-up from, uh, from our friend Zach, friend of the show, Zach. <laughs> from 9 to 5 Mac, who points out that there is high power mode on the 16-inch model, which essentially just runs the fans even louder so that if you're at the very, very top and you've made the chips so hot that they have to scale down even on the MacBook Pro, in high power mode, the fans will run even faster and are even more annoying in order for you to get the maximum amount of power. Not sure how many people are using high power mode, but there is, that would be it's technically there. a speed difference it's not what our people were talking about, but it is a good point that there is high power mode, a mm -hmm. hilarious mode for people who love fan noise. There were some people who told me about the idea of just wanting portability at home. They don't care about portability on the go. So like moving a 16-inch laptop around your home is fine, but you wouldn't put it in a bag. Right. And also, this kind of goes into the last one, which is limited space. So if you don't have a desk at home and you need to set up your laptop in a common area or it's whatever. the closest you can get to an iMac. Exactly. So I get it. These were a lot of the reasons. I had a few people write in to ask why me, as the founder of Plus Club and lover of large iPhones, wouldn't also want the largest laptop or understand this. I have back issues and carry my laptop every day. I'm going for smallest, lightest. Like, I don't want a big, heavy laptop. I want to throw in here, I I was a one Mac person, laptop, plugged in at work and using at home in my backpack every day for like a decade. Mm -hmm. And that's why I pushed further and further down as, you know, to, yeah. the, to the, ultimately the 11 inch MacBook Air. And... I don't mind it down there because I, I still enjoy the lightness of it and the and the small screen doesn't bother me, even though I primarily am using the, you know this 27-inch display every day. But that was what got me to prefer thin light laptops. But I, I totally see this case that like I'm judging it based on, oh boy, do I want to carry this thing around and it's huge. But I get like if that's your computing device and it's the only one you get and you don't have a 27-inch display to dock into and you want to have that big display. Totally get that. I, I totally see that. It's a, it's a, I, I know, you know, we have friends who you, like use them docked on desks, right? Where the, maybe even lid closed, but I there are that. also people, there are also people who don't have an external monitor. They work at a desk 
with a laptop. Maybe mm-hmm. they've got external keyboard and, and mouse, but they, they just put it on their desk, maybe in a little stand. And if you're going to do that, then yeah, I mean, a 16-inch, it's going to be a nice, much bigger display, and that's mm-hmm. better. I get it. I get that. So that's why people use 16-inch MacBook Pros, all of these things. Thank you to everybody that wrote in. Genuinely, I appreciate that so many people took time out of their day to send me in that feedback and help educate me as to why somebody would want a laptop so humongous and unwieldy. <laughs> they are very, very, they're very large. I don't like them, but I'm glad. Like, again, they, they don't have to be. That's the beauty of it. And this is the thing that I, I get this sometimes with Apple, uh, Apple aficionados where they're like, I don't like this product because I don't want to buy it. And they're like very offended that there's a product that Apple mm. makes that that is not does not appeal to them, uh, which I always have found weird. Uh, and this is a good example of that, which is like, you know what? I love that there's a 16-inch MacBook Pro for yep. all you weirdos out there who need a giant display. Uh-huh. Like, great. That's awesome. I don't want that computer. Yeah. But that's the beauty of it is they make other computers too, right? They make they make vanilla, chocolate, and, and, and other ice cream flavors are also available. Um, so yeah, it's it's all good. It's all good, um, but it's not for me. And knowing that it's not for me, um, I, it was fun actually to have the 16-inch because this is where this started. The 16-inch be my review unit from Apple instead of the 14-inch because it's been a long time since I held the large Apple laptop. I, you know, the last one I got was the 14-inch MacBook Pro, the M1. So it was a good reminder of just how big that computer can get. This episode is brought to you by ZocDoc. When someone is just exceptionally good at what they do, could be a waiter, chef, or a doctor, you know you're in good hands. It's like seeing one of those waiters who balance five trays of sizzling fajitas on one arm. You're confident in them. They've got their stuff together. And when you find the right doctor, you can feel it. You feel heard. You feel at ease. And on ZocDoc, finding the doctor that's right for you is seamless. The quality of care you need is just a few taps away with the ZocDoc app. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. There are no more Dr. Roulette available to you scouring the internet with questionable reviews and trying to work out what's going on. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor that you haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. One of the things that I love, and that's one of the things I think is great about ZocDoc, is the idea of being able to have uh, calls with your doctor, like video calls, audio calls, that kind of thing, and not needing to go to a waiting room. I had a doctor's appointment today, and and the doctor was running late, but it was over the phone. And I was in my office. So I wasn't waiting for 15 minutes extra in a doctor's waiting room. I was able to just continue doing my work until my doctor called me. I love that kind of stuff. And that is something that ZocDoc can offer for you if you like you are like me and want that. Go to ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. One last time at ZocDoc.com slash UpgradeFM. Go there and download the ZocDoc app for free. Our thanks to ZocDoc for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, it is time for a rumor roundup. All right. Ming-Chi Kuo is reporting that Apple will release a foldable iPad in 2024. Okay. Yeah. Kuo has said. Okay. All right. 
that sure. there are no other new iPad models expected within the next 9 to 12 months from Apple. The foldable iPad will feature a carbon fiber kickstand. Your favorite. Oh, yeah. Kickstands are the best. Uh, Ross mm. Young had previously reported that Apple was testing a 20-inch display for a foldable iPad, but said that 2026 would be the earliest time frame that he would expect for such a device. I do not know what to think about this. This doesn't seem... This doesn't pass my logic test at all. But I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... Look, they... they I could... Okay, and he didn't he say like it's twenty inch? Display? Ross Young said twenty inch. Ah, uh, Ross Young said twenty inch. I, I don't believe Ming Chi Kuo said twenty inch. At least yeah, not just in said the that there's a foldable. So I yep. keep trying to think, what is this? Right? What? What? How? Why? Mike? Why? Yeah. Yeah. So, and there's so few details here. So one idea was. What if you made a foldable iPad so that it could be small when you wanted it to be small and then big when you wanted it to be big, right? Yes. Like that a huge iPad might be unwieldy for a lot of uses, but you could fold it and then have it be more like iPhone-like uh-huh. um, and then open it up when you really need the real estate. That's that, you know, and then there's the question of is it an in or an Audi? That's a great mystery. They have to go too. in. Right, they have to go in, but that means that if you want to use it, there are only you either have to have another screen on the backside, or mm-hmm. the folding is only for a different kind of mode. And the kickstand would suggest this. So this is my my best guess about what this is based on our very scan information. Is if there's a, a kickstand and it folds, that what they're really trying to do is create an a, a big beautiful iPad that if you fold it, it becomes the magic keyboard essentially that yes. it becomes a laptop where you've got a software essentially probably input layer down on the bottom part that is like where your keyboard would be and then an upright part that is the rest of the uh software interface so that you end up basically you can convert it uh, by folding it into something with a, a keyboard plane and a display plane like a laptop. That's my that's my best guess. And that's, I don't know what the <laughs> logistics and benefit are of that. I'm not sure. Jason, what if this is actually the touchscreen Mac? You know what I mean? Oh, well, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's do it. Well, then, then when I can boot into Mac OS, it just becomes a keyboard and trackpad down there. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, problem solved, right? I'm just something. I, I I'm just not. I, I'm. I can't get my head around this one yet. Like I can't. Yeah. Yet see. And, and it could be late 2024. This could be a thing that like Quo is. Uh, I mean, Quo has been very reliable, but Quo's information comes from the supply chain, and I do wonder if this is one of those things where. I mean, he's positive, right? That suggests yeah. that there's orders are in for this. He's thing. got information about companies that will be involved with certain parts of the carbon fiber yeah. process. That's where this has come from. Yeah, yeah. Which is also interesting because you know you can make a carbon fiber uh, kickstand. Help, Lord, help us all uh, on any iPad, right? It doesn't have to be a folding iPad for the kickstand to exist. But yeah. you know, he seems very confident. So whatever is going on here, like, okay, I mean. Apple's been experimenting internally with folding iPhones and iPads for a while now. I just am still trying to get the details of like what the benefit is here 
if it's not just pure portability, that this is a giant iPad that you can fold up and tuck away and then open up? And is it this sort of like, well, yeah, but you can also hold it like a book and have left and right or or put it down with the kickstand and have it be like a laptop? Um, you know, maybe this is your iPad studio, Mike. I don't mm. know. So like I want Apple to make a foldable iPad and I think they will. I don't know if I 2024 maybe feels soon for me unless they've done something they're doing something I can't conceive of and just like this this report is weird to me because like there aren't the details that I want in here right which is yeah, what we were talking about is like is this just an iPad that's got a really large screen and you just fold it up and put it in your bag because it's so big or like is it what I want which is like it's an iPad mini on the outside and an iPad Pro on the inside right 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 well that's that so one of the use cases that makes sense for 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 any folding thing like you said uh the you know that it's got to be an innie is you take the big beautiful screen you fold it over and what you've got is on one of the back sides is also a screen and so now you've got a little tiny iPad mini slash you know giant iPhone basically iPad mini that you could use and it's it's a little thick it's a little heavy but you can use it and it's small and you can hold it in your hand and you can read with it at night and then and then you unfold it and it's like boom now I can draw things and it's super you know huge and beautiful um and then, and then if if that's, but that requires a screen on the back, which is pretty wild and adds to the expense. And I I am skeptical that they would do it. So the alternative to that is this idea of like, well, it's multiple modes, right? Whether it's in horizontal or vertical, you've got like a book view and you've got like a keyboard view, and then uh, I don't know, and then you close it and just to fold it and put it away. I don't know. It's it's, I mean, you you have used foldable devices and I haven't. So, I mean, you have a better perspective on this than me, but it, it seems like, you know, that the, for Apple to do a folding device, they must have, like, Apple standard is that they must have a reason why you would you would pay for it, right? There needs yeah. to actually be some appeal for it. And maybe that's in clever things they do in software, but, like, there's got to be some reason for it. Folding isn't enough in and of itself. It needs to pre- to bring benefit. Yeah. I could imagine that a big thing that they do is somewhat similar to the original iPhone, which is just like, this thing exists, but it's clunky everywhere else. And we found a way to make it really smooth and fluid. And like the, you know, the way that you transition between outside and inside is it works really well, you know, because other devices do this and they allow for like, you know, you're doing one thing on the other screen, you open it up and it's there. But there is an element of clunkiness to some of it. And maybe they found some, maybe they just worked to make that smoother. But I still want to see something hardware related from them, which is the key part, as you're mentioning, of like, what is what is your reason other than everyone else is doing it? That's not good enough reason, I think, for right. Apple right now. Right. I, I think... Like I said, I think one argument would be it is uh, an iPad that is its own magic keyboard, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'll grant you it's a touchscreen and not a physical keyboard, but if it's if it's a big display and you can bend it basically so that it, it suddenly goes on a table and you're doing work on it, um, interesting idea. I'm a little skeptical of how that would actually work and whether that would be any mm-hmm. good, but I'm sure that they've tried all that stuff out. Um and we've talked about a lot about a larger iPad being great for artisan stuff, uh, but you know the folding part of it suggests that again, it's large, but also you can fold it to 
do something better. And what is that? It's, and that's all missing here because, again, this is what happens when you get something from the supply chain. I have no doubt, though, that if Apple is going to do something like this, it's not just going to be, look at us, we think our folding is good. It's going to be, we did clever things with our software yep. combined with the folding to do stuff that makes it great, right? Like that that has to be the pitch for Apple. I mean, they base, I mean, so in some ways, Apple's done a lot of the work here because yep. uh, a folded thing is split view, basically. Yep. So they've done some of the work here already, but like, what is that? What is the the secret sauce? Sorry to use the secret sauce metaphor, but like, seriously, what is the thing that's Apple's combination of some, maybe some hardware that's a little bit different or better in their, in its approach than some of the stuff that's out there today and the software that underlies it, that makes it make sense as a product. And, you know, a supply chain report isn't going to tell us that. So we just no. sort of have to sit here and scratch our heads. The information is reporting that Apple is working on a way for users to make their own AR apps using Siri. This is another... In, in, rumor roundup today is there are two stories that everyone's reporting on that Mike can't get his head around. Uh -huh, this is the next okay. one. I'm going to read you a quote right from the information. Apple hopes that even people who don't know computer code could tell the headset via the Siri voice assistant to build an AR app that, that could then be made available via, via Apple's App Store for others to download. The tool, for example, could allow users to build an app with virtual animals moving around a room and over or around real-life objects without the need to design the animal from scratch, program its animations, and calculate its movement in a 3D space of obstacles. This is, no offense to information, this is nonsense what you've yeah. written here. Yeah. It's either nonsense that they've written or it's nonsense that Apple believes or somebody at Apple wants to believe. Like It's a little like, this is, Mike, this is the headset equivalent of we're going to make a car without a steering wheel. <laughs> right, but like I feel... Uh, <laughs> what? One, I mean, okay, I'm maybe being a bit harsh, but actually, the way it's, this is written is very strangely worded. Um, but also I just feel like you've got to know that like what is being said here is it, this isn't how it's going to be. No, it's not. Right? You're right. It's nonsense. It's like animals moving, virtual animals moving around a room and over around real like life. What kind of example is that? Like that's not out the need to design the animal from scratch. Yeah. It's, it's an, app an app where animals it? move it's around like animal movement app. Come here's on. what I think this is. If it's anything. This is some form of like a playgrounds, right? Potentially, it could be one. But the other is, this could be Apple is trying to work on something akin to like a Horizon Worlds, right? That Meta have, yeah. which yeah. is essentially Roblox in VR, right? Yeah. Where people can make their own games and experiences and share them with others. I think this feels like a tech demo like that that was you could even do this with Siri and that has been seen by somebody who's leaked this to the information mm -hmm. right cuz i can see that right where it's like okay we're in a world we've mapped we've mapped a world um we've used our you know our interface to sort of like set the scene and we've dropped in some furniture or whatever and uh you can even C create custom elements using the voice assistant and yep. they show something about like put in a tiger and there's like oh there's a 3d model of a tiger and you're like make the tiger purple and like 
I can see that that would be like a, a, a demo. And I think you're right. Like calling it an app is doing a lot of work here for something that feels more like a configuration or content or a playground or something that's a little more like Roblox. Right. But, but even then the, the Siri part of it seems a little more aspirational than anything else. Right. Cause I have no, I, I have no doubt that they will want to do stuff like this, but the it, creating it, you via the Siri voice assistant, it's like, well, probably not, right? Like probably you could do that, but it would be very hard and that there's probably other elements to this. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure at, at the root, this feels like you'll be able to create kind of like a custom thing like that's more like a wallpaper or a, uh, you know, a, a an interface plugin or something like that. That's just like sort of very abstract. And then, sell it or give it away or distribute it somehow somewhere. Right. Yep. Like that's, that, that sounds like more, you're right. These are both sort of us trying to interpret baffling reports into making sense. And I don't know, I don't know if the uh, tea leaves are functional today or not, but that's yes. Animals moving around a room. It's just app. I, dot I, don't, app. I don't mean to like, <laughs> I don't mean to like bag on people, right? The information do a great job. This just doesn't feel like very good reporting to me. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel like it it's passing just a general common sense test that like th- th- these are apps available in the app store. Like Yeah. It's not that, is it? Like it, I'm sure no. it's something. I'm sure you've heard something, app. but like it's not an app, is it? Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Made available by downloadable content app from somewhere that maybe you can message to a friend, but like n- no one mm. thinks seriously that you will be able to tell siri make an app and then with everything that is needed (laughs) to distribute apps on the app store that that's all it takes that that is not a thing that apple's going to do right right so there's there's i i think that this is a telephone game problem Uh no 100 percent, it is right right and then and then the uh the uh the uh, you know how mark german has to say like the people said yeah. So yeah. this is this is like animals moving around a room, the telephone said, <laughs> is what happened here, right? Where it's like, no, no, that's not what it, no. Um, you know, and again, yeah, I don't want to fault the information. They, they have a source. Mm-hmm. But again, we, as we often do here on Upgrade, we start to ask like, well, how did that source get their information? And what, what does it sound like? And in this case, it sounds completely ridiculous. So I think we have to assume that there is some super aspirational, some demo that happened that somebody saw that has some things in it that when described became this paragraph or these paragraphs of that are so bizarre in the information because it's a lot that got lost in translation i think is is what's going on here yeah and i will raise my hand up and say i have gotten this from a nine to five mac article that's quoted this uh maybe i should subscribe to the information and read the whole thing i should probably do that but i'll just say these quotes to me, but they ends. don't. It doesn't make any sense. This is information like, does great great work. Yeah, I think they that do. they're they're trying to. They got this detail about this product that everybody wants to know about, yep. and they tried to make sense of it because that's all they can do because yep. it's a it's a source giving them information. It's not their fault, really, that it's bananas. It's just bananas. That's like it's yep. just what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah, we should. Yeah, we should subscribe to the information. I I don't subscribe to the information either, and it's mostly because like the articles that they publish, because they do 
a, a lot of really good work, but the articles they publish that I'm interested in is such a tiny fraction. That's that the thing. It, yeah. it, it, it's not necessarily what I want to do, but they do, they do good work. Uh, you know, this is a scoop, which is nice. It's just so strange that we, we all have to like process, like, what does that mean? Um, and you know, sometimes what happens is that our friend Mark Gurman <laughs> does a thing like the next week who's having, having gone to his sources and said, what's the deal here? And get, he gets the like refined version where they're like, well, here's what's really going on. Um, and that might yet happen with this one. I wouldn't put it past him. Yep. Speaking of, we have a big report from oh, Mark Gurman. Mark Gurman, he's been busy, busy, he's busy boy. He's done one of his, I feel like, so this is his like flag in the ground. I am telling you everything I know about a product now. Yes. Yeah. Including we'll previous reports and current reports. Yeah. And here's what it all is about the headset. And I, there's a bunch of quotes I want to read in this one. So this will be a bit text heavy, but I... This one was one where it felt like trying to summarize some things weren't right. Like there's a lot of interesting detail. So I'm going to go through each part and we can we can stop as as we would like to. Uh, I do pay for Bloomberg, by the way. <laughs> I, do yeah, me I don't pay for the me information. Too. I do pay for Bloomberg because... Me too. If we're, if we're detailing like what we pay for. We use Mark's work every week that I kind of felt like it was the right thing oh, to yeah. do. Oh no, yeah. No, I, I absolutely pay for it. Plus, I want to read, like, obviously everybody does great work in, in summarizing, so, but sometimes I do actually want to read exactly what he said. Yeah. And so here oh, we are. I, I find it, and I, I get other value out of Bloomberg. There's a bunch of stuff in mm -hmm. there that, uh, a bunch of other newsletters that are great. And so I found myself going, hitting the paywall at Bloomberg all the time. Me too. And then Mark started his newsletter where he was putting extra stuff in the paid version of the newsletter. And I was like, okay, well, if I'm ever going to subscribe to Bloomberg, now is the time. And so I absolutely have for more than a year now. I'll tell you, once you subscribe to Bloomberg, you have to spend about a week tuning your email preferences. Oh boy, they, there's a lot of, lot of emails. <laughs> they want to send you of, a lot of email. They I think I got really it away. Do. So- First up is, is Mark Gurman is really doubling down on Reality Pro as the name. Now, I'm assuming it will be called Apple Reality Pro. Yeah, but, sure. Right? But that's, I think, maybe from now, we can just call it that instead of the headset, or we can use this interchangeably as we would wish. So, quote number one. Its core features will include advanced FaceTime-based video conferencing and meeting rooms. The headset's FaceTime software will realistically render a user's face and full body in virtual reality. Those avatars will allow two people, each of an Apple headset, to communicate and feel like they're in the same room. The technology differs from virtual meeting rooms on Meta's headset, which creates a more cartoon-like avatar of the user. Because of the immense processing power necessary for the feature, the headset will only support realistic avatars during one-on-one -on -one video chats. It will still allow for FaceTime sessions with several people, but additional users will be displayed as an icon or Memoji. Hmm. So, what is an, what is an advanced avatar? What is that going to be? I feel like that this is trying to communicate that they're going to try to make it seem like it's you, right? Like human body proportions, not cartoon body proportions, and something that's based on your actual face. Um, whether it's a face model that they build uh, or they're looking at your expressions and trying to adjust. I don't know, right? And it could be uncanny, right? But what, what he's saying here is that the attempt is to have it be less cartoony yeah. than... Meta, which is you know their little blobby emoji like kind of 
kind of characters and more realistic that they felt like because um, meta meta stuff does make it feel like you're in the same room in a way, right? Because it puts you in that oh, virtual yeah. environment. There is yep. there is some realism to it, but this is Apple trying to say we want it to be even more like you're in the same room with the person you're talking to. However, if you want to talk to more than one person, the rest of them will be cartoon avatars, which is a funny move. That's a I funny guess, quirk for to processing it. power, yeah. probably more than anything yes. else, right? Yeah, but like I wonder, like what are we going to hit an uncanny valley here? Like, Memoji exists. Like, why not? Yeah. I don't, I, it's weird to me. Like, just go with Memoji. Like, why overcomplicate it? I think they're trying to do better, right? I think that's what it is, is can we make it so that it's more you? And if they go down that path and they feel like, actually, this is good, right? Like, this is this is better, than the all Memoji experience, I could see them going down that path. It's interesting that they went down that path and realized that it takes so much processing power to do it that they have to limit it to a one-on-one conversation. But still, I mean, the truth is, I think a lot of the applications for this stuff are going to be for groups of people um, yep. to be together, at which point it's not going to be like this. It's going to be Memoji, uh, which is fine. Um, I do worry about the Uncanny Valley thing, right? Like if you take oh. a scan of my face and and then you're trying That's to map <laughs> map my expressions or stuff, it's going to get real lawnmower man yeah. very like really fast. And I expect there will still be a, a almost like a character creation kind of tool, but it will be more human like. I don't know. Yeah. Like I can't imagine that I'm going to use my my phone scan my face and then that's like imposed on a body. Like I just that seems I like, can. Okay. All right. I'm, I can. I'm, I could see them doing that. They've got. Uh, they've got your face already. They got your face and face ID, right? Yeah. Like they can. They, they can put dots on your face, and they can. They can. Yes. They can use their depth. I guess. And stuff, and yeah. and, and make a model of a creepy life, you know, like death mask model of Mike, and then they map it, and then they've got their cameras on the thing that are taking yeah. images of your of your face while it's in the headset, and then they do right. Like I think they could do it, but the question is, like, how weird How's is it going to look? Yeah, and yeah. also like there are many features that we'll talk about here where this feels like a 1.0 like and, and this is it mm-hmm. right like of you can only do it with two people now you know in the future that will change but it's like That's also the, being realistic popular. they yeah. know that they can if they know they can do it with two people just do it with two people because for the for the foreseeable future not a lot of people will be doing these calls with more than one person and they want to show it off right yeah. so it's like if this is if this is dazzling they're going to be like, oh, you know, Mimoji is great and all, but look at this. It's like mm-hmm. you're really there with another person. Whoa. And then everyone's like, wow, it's, but it's just for one. Uh, but later, it'll be for more, right? Because that's it's 1.0, right? So you try to dazzle them, but then you've got that moment where you're like, mm, but not, mm, not, not completely yet. Everybody else is a Mimoji, but your best pal can be human. All your second tier pals are Mimoji. That's just how it's going to have to be. Uh, Goman states that hand tracking is going to be the primary interface. This is something that we've heard before, uh, but a lot of pinching, tapping, pointing, that kind of stuff. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's going to be a real minority report going on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get it. Like, I again, with the Quest 2, I've got the little handset thingies. They are nice because they allow for a specificity of input that the hand gestures, which the Quest actually does have, uh, don't provide. But... They are abstract, um, and I can see that you know Apple doesn't want you to have game controllers in your hands when you're using this. They want you to feel natural, and that means um, that means gestures. 
that means gestures. So they better be good, right? Because that's the that's the danger of relying on gestures is you've got to be really good at recognizing physical gestures in order to use them. Quote, gaming, gaming is expected to be a popular offering from third-party developers. So I don't know how those two things go together. There will be some games that will be able to use hand tracking. So my guess is that there will be controllers. That is my guess, right. is that is that they'll the Apple will either have a partner or Apple will make their own. It sounds I mean Apple has never really made a game controller, so it may be that they are going to use, you know, have a third-party standard for third-party VR input controllers. Yeah. Maybe they'll make them themselves, I don't know, but like having used the Quest, having those little grippy things in your hands makes a big difference when you're doing uh, certain kinds of game input. But I can also see them saying what we really want is using gestures for gaming. I just have a hard time believing that that's going to be all there is. So they're going to have to do uh, controller support. Right, because both things can be true, right? Like they could make a controller but not put it in the box or they could spec out a controller to somebody else and not put it in the box or whatever, right? As you're saying. which and But there'd be some games that would and could work with hand gestures, and that would be great, but then some that you would need a controller for, like if you want to do something a little bit more specific, or for a lot of companies that would want to port their existing VR game over, they were built with controllers in mind, and so that's not going to fly for a lot of those games. So, mm-hmm. Apple are developing VR video content of their own, and they're also pitching other companies like Disney uh, yep. to actually make video content you can be involved in like feel like you're in but also they're working on creating environments for watching traditional content in a 3d space which we've spoken about before yeah i i actually think this is a winner (laughs) um one is the idea that they're going to try to do i think vr like sports is a good example where their mls partnership might be a good example or their major league baseball thing and i can see them working with other uh other companies um because yeah immersive especially for live sports is interesting right like the nba has done this a little bit on the quest where you can there there are a handful of games they do every year that are in the horizons worlds and you can go and sit courtside and it's a 180 degree camera so basically it's like you're sitting courtside and you can turn your head and you can watch the players go by and that's kind of cool um and then the 3D stuff, I know we have talked about it before, but the idea very quickly is that the advantage of it over something like a 3D movie is that a 3D movie, they have the projector and you put on the glasses and it's like dimmer because they have to take half the light from the left eye and half of the right. And 3D content in a headset, you're wearing the headset already. So it's just 3D content. And not only have there been lots of 3D movies made, right? So they can put all of those in Apple's uh, library or on streaming apps or whatever, you know, try to get the 3D content to have another use for it outside of the movie theater. That's kind of cool. Um, and then you can do other stuff. You can do virtual uh, movie theaters with your friends and stuff. So, it, 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 which is basically share play taken up a level. Like all this stuff has been worked on in the background, I think, uh, in part to add that stuff to iOS and macOS, but also to get it ready. Like share play is a great example of something that's probably. Um, prioritized because of the headset thing, and I think that I think that there's a a market. Having watched a couple of movies entirely wearing the Quest Two, uh, and it seems like oh, you're wearing a headset for the two hours, and all that. it's like yeah, but it's it's not a bad experience. And mm-hmm. with what the specs of this thing are meant to be, I think it will be actually a really nice experience. So, uh, so yeah, it's I this one 
again, not enough to sell it on its own, but it's a, it, I, I think a good feature that could be popular. The headset will be able to serve as an external display for a connected Mac, says Mark Gurman, and replicate many functions of iPhones and iPads. The headset's operating system, internally called XROS, will have many of the same features as an iPhone and iPad, but in a 3D environment. That includes Safari, Photos, Mail, Messages, and the Calendar app. And it will also have apps for the company's services, such as the App Store to install third-party software, TV+, Plus, music, and podcasts. The company is working on health tracking functions as well. Not surprising, right? Like the ability to run iPad and iPhone apps just in the in the space and then connect, which is actually what, um, what Meta does uh, connect to your desktop. Um, yep. Meta doesn't do it very well, but you know the idea that if you've got a Mac, uh, you'll especially essentially be able to do screen sharing and connect to the Mac and have I've a virtual Mac. I've actually been pretty impressed well. with that experience myself. It's worked very well for me on Meta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, what I don't. I mean, it's. I think it's janky, but I think it was. I was impressed that it worked at all. <laughs> Um, yeah. it's low resolution and it's kind of janky, but yeah, you can sit at, I mean, literally what we're talking about here is you can sit at a virtual desk in a virtual room and have your, Ma- a virtual version of your Mac screen on mm-hmm. the desk. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and you might say why, but like, if you're in a meeting and you want to do like the idea here is like, you're, it's for serious business. You're like, you're at, you're, you're doing a virtual business meeting and you can have your virtual laptop with you while you're talking and presenting or checking a spreadsheet, I don't know, whatever. Um, so that's an interesting idea as well, that that you've got access to Macs via a remote connection and then essentially iPhone and iPad apps just in the environment. Um, to create a, you know, 3D um, Apple device dashboard around you. In theory, with that, you could create 10 screens. Right, because it's all virtual, so that's cool, right? And exactly. Like, you can yep. do that in Meta stuff. You can just add screens, so like you could do. Yeah, you could add, add different apps in different places, right? Like put yeah. this app here, put this app here, put uh-huh. this app over here, um, and then if it, if their hand tracking is good, right? Then yeah. you're then you're doing you know you're doing touch gestures essentially. Gurman does say that that there is an expectation that you would just be able to use a keyboard, and mouse, and all that kind of stuff too, right? <laughs> Sure. So you could because you can be. then use it in the AR mode, uh, like right. the mixed reality mode, so you can see the keyboards, see the screens. Mm-hmm. Think of how many people Jason would be able to drop their 16-inch MacBook Pros if this became a reality. <laughs> oh yeah, just put <laughs> just put your MacBook Pro in your head, and uh-huh. then it's as big a screen as you needed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so yeah, the experience quote the experience should feel familiar to Apple users when they put the headset on. The main interface will be nearly identical to that of an iPhone and iPad, featuring a home screen with a grid of icons that can be reorganized. Users will be able to pin widgets such as the weather, calendar appointments, email, and stock market performance among their app icons. Uh, what? (laughs) What? No. I mean, come on. Right? That can't be right. Well, you know, again, I just think about my experience with the Quest, and like the Quest... You you wake up you know in that virtual world in the you know your cave in the tropic islands or what or in space, and there's a da- there's like a dashboard controller in front of you, and if you tap on one of the things, like a big app store window shows up. So 
it's not that far-fetched that it would be something like that, which is a... It's got to be that within something else, though, right? Yeah, that's, like, my, that's my guess, is that they'll, you'll have a home screen. Like, I assume it'll be more like the Quest, where you'll have, you'll have a home screen floating in space. And you'll be able to put widgets on the home screen or around, and then you'll have you'll you'll have some controls to take you where you want to go. Because that's what Meta decided to do, and I think it's a good idea. I wouldn't. I don't think I would want to put it on and then be in like floating in an empty space of just a home screen, right? Or imagine like the home screen is huge, and you got to like fly over it and find the right icon or whatever. Like these are silly things, but I, I think I think Meta actually is is a pretty good model here, which is they put you in a virtual space, but it's a virtual space with a a launcher essentially, you know, and a notification yeah. center and all those things that you would have in a phone or a tablet. And instead they're in, you know, they're kind of hovering in this virtual space that you're you're standing in. And that's about right. I mean I really I really hope because I just read that and it's like, if that is all it is, that's wild, right? That like that, that you've got to have something that feels like you're in a different environment, not just like you've got yeah. an iPad projected in front of you. Like I feel like that's not enough right. to to truly be like a, a wowing kind of aspect. Imagine like a a uh, an eight foot high, well, okay, maybe not that, uh, a uh, uh, an eighty inch diagonal iPad floating in front of you while you're at the beach or on a mountain or something. That's probably what it is, right? Yeah. It's I probably mean, an interface an interface yeah. in a 3D environment. Yes. Right? That would be better. You're not going to like this part, Jason, all right? No, I'm not. already. Quote, Apple made the decision to offload the battery from inside of the headset to an external pack. It rests in a user's pocket and connects via a cable. The headset can last about two hours per battery pack in line with rival products. The battery, however, is large, roughly the size of two iPhone 14 Pro Maxes <laughs> stacked on top of each other, or about six inches tall or more than half an inch thick. Now, I will say that's not going in anyone's pocket, right? Like, mm. I expect that thing will have a clip on it because let's be realistic here. Yeah. So, German does say there are still prototypes of an internal battery. But the issue that they are having is with the powerful M2 chips and all the other stuff they've got inside of the headset. If they have a battery in it, it gets too hot to wear. That has continued to be a problem. So as he is saying right now, that he is expecting there will be an external battery that you will clip to yourself. Seems inelegant. Yep, but maybe otherwise impossible. If this is, and I know this is the the the, the million dollar question for this thing, which is, if this is perceived as being a tech demonstration and a developer kit, having a battery that you put in your pocket is something you could get away with. Yep. If it's, you know, but judged as a consumer product, that's uh, like we've done all this work to make it uh, cordless, except for the cord that you stick in your, you know, back pocket. Like then we all feel like Alex Cox, right? we've all got a cable running into a pocket where there's a battery <laughs> uh, Pokemon Go related yeah. my, mm -hmm. my feeling on this one is if you look at all the stuff we were mentioning before right about what they're trying to do visually they're trying to make things look real they're trying to do all this very impressive hand tracking all of that takes a lot of processing power yeah if it means that version one has to have a battery attached to a cable, I don't think that's going to be important in the grand vision of the product. Like, 
that it will demo so well because sure. it will feel so incredible that you won't care that you've got this one cable. That's that's what I think anyway. You need to just buy another battery or whatever. I don't mm-hmm. know, something like that. Quote, to show off the new headset, Apple is creating a store within a store at their Apple Store concept, an area within its retail outlets dedicated to demonstrating the product. So it's like a plexiglass cage or something? Well, it's like, <laughs> you, know, I, you know what? I have to actually read the... I, I didn't... I cut, I cut out the full quote. I now need to sign in to Bloomberg just because it felt so ridiculous to me at the time but now now i'm here i'm like oh no i should i should read it but th- this is you know this is obviously kind of like the apple watch right like in the idea of bringing people in right there's not a lot of detail there the co- company did something similar when it launched the apple watch is all it really says the part that i'm looking for is that something along the lines of the hope will be that people will come in oh, and buy airpods i got it yeah i got it Apple has acknowledged these challenges internally, and it's been trying to set realistic expectations for the product. One benefit of the device, the company believes, is that it could spur customers to visit Apple retail stores, not necessarily to buy the product, but to try it out. They may then purchase another device, such as an iPad or AirPods. (laughs) Whose idea is that? You know what I mean? (laughs) All right, like, oh, I know what we'll do here. This thing that's cost us yeah. this many years in yeah. development, we'll use it to upsell AirPods for people that yeah. are coming in to look yeah. at it. Now, I, I imagine, I mean, and I know this is probably not how it happened, but I imagine a cynical meeting where there's somebody like, are people going to buy these things? Nah, but once they're in the store, they'll buy some other crap. <laughs> okay. I, you know what this sure. reads to me sure. though, Jason, actually? This reads to me as the person in the retail division who is pitching the idea of the store within a store concept is using this on a slide as an additional reason right. why they should get their budget. Right, because somebody else is like, no, no, let's just send, we're only going to sell a million of them. Let's sell it online mm-hmm. only. And they're like, no, no, no. We got to put it in the stores so people see it and they're blown away by it. And they'll buy it. And then, and then, but what will they do? They won't buy it. So what will they do? And it's like, uh, I don't know, the bus some AirPods. Or an iPad As if, like, or whatever. This would be the thing that pushes, anyway. But you mentioned that Apple is expecting to sell 1 million units in year one. And listen to this. In a rare move, it is also not planning to make a profit on the initial version, even at the high price, indicating that the company is taking a long-term view on the platform. This is what we've been talking about. Yeah. Except that it that's what's happening at $3,000, apparently. Yeah, maybe. Uh, uh-huh. It's uh-huh. if we're tying those two things together, which I think we can, possibly, but nevertheless, even if... It, okay, let's say it costs $3,000. If that's what it yeah. costs, that's what it costs for whatever they're doing, if I believe that, I mean, we're never going to know that, right? But if I believe that they're not planning to take a profit on it, I can at least stomach the idea of it costing three grand more. You know what I mean, right? Like if it costs three grand, but it costs three grand because 40% of it is going into Apple's pocket, it would annoy right. it's me because it's just it's like you're not story. doing a good enough job here if you want people to use it. But if it costs three grand to make the tech the way that they are planning to make it because they believe that it's important and it's a bet that they're making, I'm more willing to accept that as the cost. So, I think the damning number here is one million units in year one. Just keeping in mind that's nothing for Apple, for an Apple product. That's nothing. It's absolutely nothing. This is essentially admitting that this is an advanced technology preview slash developer kit and that they are going to, this is not the product, right? This is the product that, what is the deep thought thing? I'm, I'm the, you know, I'm not the ultimate answer. I'm the 
thing that precedes that other thing that asks the question of the ultimate answer. Anyway, it's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You get it. That is what this is. It's like, I am not the popular headset. I am the one that precedes it. <laughs> and I will usher it into existence. But now, no, only a million of me will be sold. But next year, oh, or at a time that we will not announce, but sometime nearly in the future, another product may exist that will be popular. That's, I mean, a million. Apple has not spent all this money on selling a million of a headset, right? No. Like, And so this seems to me to be an admission, at least in part, even if they don't market it this way, at least in part that that's what this is. It's like a million. Yeah, you know, it's like we're not. They. I, what I like about this is it shows some realism, which yes. is, yeah, we know we're not going to sell any of these. Like that's not the point. The point is to get it out there and to demonstrate this and to get people excited for whatever comes next. And there's going to be a lot of of analysis that we are going to do about their marketing because I owe to be a fly on the wall again of how they market this and if they dare to talk about the future when they market this because i think they and i know i've said this before but like i think that's what they need to do i think when you come out with a product that nobody's going to buy but you want everybody to get excited about you got to get you got to get the hype machine going yeah. you got to say look this is a start it's for explorers and developers and but we're not stopping and there's more to come even if it's just there's more to come and there's you know we think that this is going to be a huge uh, thing in the in the future, and we are on it, and there are going to be further products in this product line. But this is where it starts. I think they need to really lean into that because you don't want this thing to be interpreted as well. Here's Apple's entry in VR. It costs so much money; they're not going to sell any of them, so it's a flop. And they don't want it to be seen as a flop, right? They want it to be seen as them priming the pump for what comes next. Which is why, even though this, I think, one million thing is probably not. You know, it's probably not something Apple wanted somebody to tell Mark Gurman. I do expect that as we get closer to this thing coming uh, out, that Apple will probably probably use whatever tools it has at its disposal to set expectations, right? Because yep. you need to manage the expectations of this product. Because by any other product standards, not selling a million in year one for Apple is really not good like apple products like the apple watch sold what 300 million in year one i don't know a lot 30 million i don't know how many it was it's a lot yeah a lot more than one i think is is the point um so that's that's my that's my question actually uh german wrote about this this weekend too and and there you know he was talking more about like the risk of the headset uh and it was a little more like you know it's not going to be an iPhone and it's not, and it's not going to be an Apple watch. And th this is all true. The question is, um, it, you know, how do you, how do you get people to view it? Um, here I'll, I'll quote from it. Apple sold a million iPhones within months of the product's debut. The iPad topped a million units on its first 28 days. And that's just the start. The company sold more than 10 million iPhones in its second year and 15 million iPads in the tablets first eight months. Even the Apple Watch made it to over 10 million in its first year. So there you go. That was a product that was sort of, well, not troubled, but like sluggish and a new product in a new category. And it scored, you know, 10 million sales. And they're talking about a tenth of that for this. So I'm not saying that, that this product is fundamentally bad or anything like that. I'm saying they need to manage expectations because 
clearly they now are aware, right? Like this is not going to be the the product that sets the world on fire because it's so expensive. Um, but that they're laying the groundwork for the future of the, this platform, and that's fine. Just you, you, you know, they're going to take their lumps unless they're very clear about that. The latter part of this report has actually made me feel a bit more personally more positive about the endeavor that they are facing up to what the task is ahead and what this part of it will be right that like we know it's expensive so to make it as least expensive as possible we'll just sell it for what it costs right we know we're not going to sell a lot of these and that's totally fine because the people that these are going to there are early adopters the developers they're evangelists like people who are going to get it and use it and try and understand it and have maybe a higher threshold for understanding it and dealing with what will be some weirdness in places right um the idea of setting up this thing in the store like they just want people to see it they want people to be aware of what's coming and like i feel like the thing that you've been hoping for seems more likely that they would stand on stage and be like this is the beginning of a 10 year yes. plan that we have that yeah, everyone exactly. will have one of these, right? And whether that happens or not isn't the point, but like if they are upfront about that, everything else will make more sense. Everything else will be more palatable, but it's if they do it. However, this report kind of makes it feel like they have got their feet on the ground a little bit about what it's going to take to make this thing the way that they want. And that's even stuff like the battery pack. They're being realistic, right? About what it is they're able to make and it be a good experience. And so, yeah, this this report, I know a lot of people are taking this report in a lot of different directions. Mark, uh, uh, John Gruber wrote a great piece about it where he's kind of trying to break it down and understand what is this product even and is struggling. And I mean, we're all struggling with that. But this this article, for me, was very good at explaining maybe what Apple thinks this thing is going to be actually i think john gruber is writing about a different article but similar it's touching on the same kind of things of like what will we use it for and it's like it's hard to really know with this stuff i think we're going to need to see it however this has made me feel more enthused to see it than i have been previously so we'll see yeah if you enjoy this show and want more of it, please subscribe to Upgrade Plus because you will hear no ads and you will get bonus content every week. So with every episode of Upgrade Plus, you're getting longer content at the end of the show. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about some of Jason's uh, experiences and impressions of using the Google Nest Hub instead of his Echo Show. And we're yeah. also going to decide and set our next challenge topic that we're going to be doing uh, as Upgrade Plus as the Upgrade Plus Challenge. So we've had some recommendations from Upgradians, and we're going to pick one and then maybe do it in the ne in the next episode or in the next couple of weeks. If you sign up at Upgrade, GetUpgradePlus.com for just $5 a month or $50 a year, you will get Upgrade Plus, which is longer and ad-free. You get access to the Relay FM members' Discord. You get access to tons of content available just for Relay FM members. This is podcasts, but also includes newsletters. It includes uh, wallpapers for your devices and so much more. Go and sign up today at GetUpgradePlus.com. You'll be getting tons of stuff for it, and you'll be helping support the show as well. Our thanks to everybody who supports us. and. Thank you if you decide to sign up. I have some Ask Upgrade questions for you, Jason, to finish oh, out today's episode. Peter asks, 
The discussion of chip binning makes me wonder if Apple might control the number of active cores in the future of a software license. Could that be a way to provide an upgrade path for entry-level Mac Pros where you pay at some later time to unlock more cores or RAM? Now, bear with me here a second, because I've had this okay. like random thought, right, of like, at a certain point, might they just ship the same chip in every machine and you just pay like an in-app purchase mm. to get more cores available to you? It seems weird, but not impossible. Well, the RAM RAM has costs, right? So yeah. I think that it's I think it's not likely. Um, the binning happens, right? Because these are these um, chips aren't all up to spec, and so they can sell a version with the GPU cores uh, disabled uh, that are ones that where not all the GPU cores worked. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would require them to have a level of confidence about what they uh, what they were generating. I mean, I. Yeah, again, I think that variation is basically because it's part of the chip production process. Uh-huh. Uh, but sure, if there was a, a case where Apple could make a perfect chip that had all the cores working, all the GPU cores, would they consider uh, making an in-app purchase for more cores being activated after the fact? I suppose they would. Um, that would be another gate. Uh, people get very angry when you build features into a uh, a product hardware features and then you don't enable them unless you pay more money because it's like there is this implicit promise that you're paying for the hardware that you've got mm-hmm. uh and not having it be sort of a completely arbitrary thing but uh, it's a funny thing to think about i mean but i i think the truth is that this has more to do with the production of chips not being able to generate chips with every gpu core lit up than anything else Cliff wrote in and said, In episode 442, Mike mentioned if he was the CEO of Twitter, he would remove third-party API access since the business model of Twitter is based on advertising and the necessary analytics can't be provided to advertisers from the users with third-party clients. Some time ago, Mike also said as an owner of a podcast network, he was opposed to services like Spotify controlling the podcast behind their paywall and collecting valuable user data to help to sell to advertisers. Is this a contradiction? I included this question to highlight a point of like, I am capable of holding more than one point of view at a time. Mm-hmm. Where like, what I was saying was, if I was the CEO of Twitter, but I am not, and will never be CEO of Twitter, I no, am the owner of a podcast network. Of a podcast network, yeah, exactly. So, what right. I'm, if, if I was given the task of running Twitter, I would cut off third-party apps differently to how Elon did, but I would cut off third-party apps because I am now running that business and need to make that business the best that it can be. And that's right. what you got to do. If you had the time, you might see if you could make it so that the third-party apps could remain if they showed your ads, right? But I think we all realize that at this point, Twitter's not capable of something like that. Yeah. And so the answer would be, you just got to shut them down if you're a CEO of Twitter. As I said before, like social networks, no other social network has an APR like this. Like you want to control it's your true. platform. It's your platform, right? Yeah, it's yours. Similar to I want to control my platform, it's mine, which is this podcast network. And the idea of people, you know, Spotify buying up shows and putting them behind their paywall and hiding them, which funnily enough, there was a report in Bloomberg this week that Jason sent me, hasn't done yes. great for Spotify, Ultimately, no, no, it's it's actually been kind of a disaster and they're retrenching and they're changing their approach and they've lost a lot of money on it and it hasn't really worked. And uh, it's fascinating, although one of the things that is mentioned sort of semi threatening threateningly in there is 
about the fact that Spotify, if you're listening to a podcast through Spotify's player, it's not like Spotify gets to insert the ads, right? Like the ads are inserted by whoever is serving the podcast. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the suggestion there is like, well, but Spotify wants to get in there. They want to be like Netflix or YouTube and be the ones inserting the ads. I think, and I'm curious what you think about this, I think that Spotify will end up doing that, but not in the way that is threatened in that article. I think the answer is Spotify wants to be a major player in podcast adding, ad serving, which they already are, mm-hmm. and that'll be inside and outside of Spotify. They want to, you know, they and they'll make money that way, potentially, possibly. Yeah, maybe. But um, I think it's less likely that they're going to say, oh, if you want to be a podcast inside Spotify, we're going to insert some ads in your podcast that that came from outside of Spotify without your approval or whatever. Like that seems like a weird uh, place for them to go down. But certainly, Mike, if you were CEO of Spotify, you would have a very different opinion about what Spotify should do yeah. than if you're running Relay FM, which yeah. is your role. Yep. So it's only a contradiction if I do actually run both of those companies which which <laughs> I don't uh, the Spotify ads thing is interesting to me because a lot of people try and say I want to be like YouTube it's like well but yeah but the thing is YouTube started their industry the podcast industry existed a long time before Spotify and people got used yeah. to the way that things are done like if Spotify came to us and said hey we want to sell your ads I can tell you it's a worse deal for me I know it is so why would I do it like they may be able to do something kind of akin to what YouTube does of inserting ads before the beginning or like randomly in a show, but then I don't think listeners would necessarily stick with Spotify because it's the podcast app that has all the ads right. in it. Like yeah. honestly, I think the time for that is over. What they are more likely to do akin to what you were just saying, which is like they could just become one of the larger podcast advertising agencies who offer companies to other podcasters at whatever rates they want to pay which they could do yeah. if they want to but i also don't think that's spotify's business I don't know. they have their own dynamic ad insertion system that they would put together and it would work in spotify but it would also work outside of spotify and it would be you know maybe there are different rates for the insertions that are happening in spotify where they have more data like i could see them doing that but the the bloomberg report was interesting because it was basically saying that this is not this was an interesting pivot on their part, but it really hasn't worked out. That podcasts are not going to be the thing that saves Spotify, um, and the challenge with Spotify is is the challenge with any streaming music service, which is um, they spend so much money uh, back to the music licensing that you know they there's not there's not a lot of a profit or any profit that can be wrung out of it. Um, which is that's yeah, it's mm-hmm. a, it, something's going to have to give there. But the podcast strategy seems to have been. Um, not the right one. And and th- I think podcasts will remain a part of their strategy, but they're going to rethink it. It's not the thing that's going to make them a, a largely profitable company. Producing original Spotify podcasts is probably not going to be their thing. And in fact, I would go so further and to say those Spotify exclusive podcasts also are probably in the long run not going to be a thing because they're probably not worth it for them. They're probably better off having podcast playing be in their app. And like we've said, maybe... Um, make money by being a podcast, you know, ad network of some kind or platform of some kind. But um, paying a lot of money to paywall um, or 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 Spotify exclusivize certain podcasts may not actually make a lot of sense for them because the money they're spending is more than the benefit they're getting. 
Taylor asks, for those of us that are now new to RSS, what RSS readers do you recommend? Uh, NetNewsWire is where I would start because it's free um, and it's it's new. It's been around forever, but there's a it's it's new. They brought it back. Brent Simmons and a team of people working on it as an open source project. I use the iPad app every day. There's a Mac app that is comparable to the iPad app. Uh, works on iPhone. Um, there are a bunch of others. Uh, Reader, I like. That's R-E-E-D-E-R. the one I use. D-E-R. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. Beautiful. Um, and I am actually using, oh, what's this one called? Um, Unread. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, which is very simple, and I have that on my um, on my iPhone. I think the they slot. just released I'm trying a new it, version too. I'm trying it where my Twitter app used to be. I have RSS mm-hmm. instead. Trying to be a little see Mike. I'm trying to be a little better about not having my default when I'm bored somewhere, mm-hmm. looking at my phone to be reading social media, and instead it's looking at my RSS feeds. Uh, one of the good things these wait, not good thing. One of the things that makes this stuff easier these days is a lot of these apps don't require that you need to also use an RSS service. Right, like it used they, to be that you, they did, but a lot of them are doing like iCloud syncing yeah. and stuff too. I I use Feedbin. So do I. Um, but the reason I use Feedbin is mostly because not because it's a sync service, but because it's got a bunch of extra features. That's where all my newsletters go. Is mm-hmm. there? I have a Feedbin email address that I forward all my newsletters to, and so they're in there with the RSS feed. They're all yeah. together, and I really like that. Um, so I, you know, maybe um, you know the next frontier for this is that like NetNewsWire doesn't really have smart uh, lists and stuff, and what it means is that I can't subscribe to very high volume RSS feeds because I can't filter them out, um, and I mostly just read. Uh, today view in NetNewsWire of my latest feed items. And then somebody was saying, well, you know, you can add Twitter lists as a feed. Um, And you can in Feedbin, but then every single post in my Twitter list appears and it overwhelms the stories that are in there. Now there's hundreds of Twitter posts and a few stories and that's no good. So at some point I will probably... Uh, either they'll bring it to NetNewsWire or I will experiment with using a different service for that because I, I would like the ability to have sort of like my curated list and also be able to dip into a larger kind of like stream of whether it's Twitter posts or, or news headlines or whatever. Um, so that's a little complexity, but I would start with NetNewsWire because it's free and then there are, yeah, there are a bunch of others, Reader, Unread and others. Check them out. Chance asks, do you think Apple will ever bring back live musical guests to keynotes? Would you welcome them back if they did? Uh, I would, because oh. nothing gives me more cred with my daughter than listing all the famous music artists that I've seen live that she hasn't. Sia was a question on Jeopardy. Sia was a question on Jeopardy the other day, and I was like, seen her. <laughs> right? Like, seen her at an Apple event. Drake, seen him at an Apple event. The weekend, saw him at an Apple event, right? Like, it goes on and on and on. But uh, I don't know. I, I think the question is, is Apple ever going to bring back keynotes? Uh, and my guess is no. <laughs> I think they're going to have videos that they might invite some of us to go see in the Steve Jobs Theater. But mm-hmm. I, I kind of feel like those days are over. There is a lot of questioning right now, again, about if WWDC is coming back, because I think... I think there was some article that was sent around. I saw uh, that the Apple was dropping COVID testing um, at their campuses. 
Mike Hurley oh, says that means nothing for whether yeah. the BBC is coming yeah. back or not. Zach, Zach, by the way, truth check, fact checking me. Drake didn't perform. He just spoke. What is speaking live on stage but a performance? It was actually a poor one. He kind of was confused and, and uh, rambled. Uh, he was wearing a sweet, sweet vintage Apple uh, jacket. But it doesn't matter. I saw him live, right? That's all, that's all that matters. I saw him live. You two, most of them, twice live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can go on, right? Kanye, oh. right after he, he made trouble and what we thought was trouble for Kanye. We didn't know. We didn't yet know the trouble. scale of what Kanye he, trouble him, could yeah, mean. Sure, yeah. saw him live, Apple event. Yeah, I go, the list goes on. Kind of amazing. But I think those days are, not that there won't be like um, Apple... I think Apple will probably do more like music events, like festivals huh. and yep. and stuff like that. But that's not the same as like at a product event. I don't think that's going to happen again. Yeah, I think that I still think that WWDC will be more like what it's what it was last year going forward yes. than going back to 2019. I think that's it. I think that's what it is now. Because even at the last WWDC, there were different rules. Like Apple, like two weeks before or something like that, stopped their employees from coming to campus anymore because of rising COVID rates. Right. But then had WWDC. So I don't think you can supplant one rule on top of the other uh, for that. No, I think think they're going to, I think the model now is for big events, they will do a press event that will include some hands-on time and they will, they will be a simulcast of the live streamed video that they're going to put on the internet. Mm-hmm. WWC, it'll be a press event plus a select developers invited to campus event. With some ancillary events throughout the week. And that's it. I, like, I think that's there. what it is yeah. now. And and it may just be those two. Uh, who knows? I don't know. It's a different world now. Yep. And Brian asks, is there a Sonos speaker roughly comparable to the new HomePod? I'm not looking for portable. Is there a good start or option? It's, I think, very helpfully named Sonos One. That's the one you want to yes. check out. If you and wanna... that's what I have in my office. I have a Super stereo good. pair of Sonos Ones. Yep. Sound and great. It's, uh, I mean, I'm looking at the UK website here. But 200 pounds, so uh, vastly more uh, it's very heavy. effective. Yeah, very oh, heavy. That's not what you meant. Yeah, it's $200, <laughs> or I guess it's it's $219 okay. right now in the US. Are they still selling the One SL or whatever? That's the one that doesn't have the yeah. The One SL is one hundred ninety nine. Okay, that's the one that doesn't have the voice assistant in it because yep. you don't really need that. I like it, but it's not necessary at all. Like I like speaking to Giancarlo yeah. Esposito. You know? Did you I, know he's the voice? By the way, yes, yes, I did. I I actually have a Sonos One and a Sonos One SL as my stereo pair. Right. Um, but I never use the voice assistant. I have it turned off. I like it just because he pulls the music. I saw Giancarlo Esposito getting off a plane when we came back from LA. Interesting. He's so cool looking. He's so cool looking. If you would like to send in a question of your own, just open your browser and go to upgradefeedback.com or click the link in the show notes and please send in your questions for us to answer in a future episode of Ask Upgrade. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode, episode 444, in fact. If you want to check out Jason's writing at sixcolors.com, that's where you should go and find everything that Jason and Dan and the gang are up to. You can also hear Jason's podcast at theincomparable.com and here on Relay FM. And you can listen to my shows at Relay FM as well and check out my work at cortexbrand.com. I have a new product. Please go check it out. It's called Psychic Notepad. I'm very proud of it. You can send us your feedback. It's, saying, it's a was, psychic notepad? What? Does it read your thoughts and put them down itself? 
This is unnecessary bullying. This is cyberbullying. <laughs> it's only cyberbullying because it's on Zoom. Exactly. That's what makes it cyberbullying. Whenever I say this is cyberbullying, that's what I'm referring to. Because go everybody go buy the psychic notebook then and it'll read your mind. Side Cortex note, brand. Man. That's what the Cortex means. It's your mind. All right. And it's being read do by I the Do I make fun notebook. of your website? Do, you, do I do that? You know, like, oh, what about the fifth color? No, I don't do this. You know? I'm just I'm just saying you should, you, you're selling a product. You should denunciate more. I'm being your mom now. I'm trying not to spend denunciate all this time more, talking Michael. about it on, on upgrade, right? Like, but I just Side wanted to sneak kick. in a little, a little, a little plug there. Notebook. But also people can, can go there. They'll see that something new is there if they know what you're I'm British. up to. You're British. Do the British enunciation thing. People love oh, that. Oh, I don't have that anymore. I lost that a long time ago. You Americans took that away from me. Oh, all right. Okay. You can send us your feedback and questions at UpgradeFeedback.com. Thank you to our members who support us of Upgrade Plus. Thank you to ZocDoc for their support of this week's episode. But most of all, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye to five of the colors. The sixth one knows what it did. You know what you did.